around 1 in 5 adults, as well as 1 in 20 children in the United States, are thought to take botanicals, dietary supplements that are derived from plants. And I think that people take them because mainly for their perceived health benefits. So I and others at the program have generated data that indicate that black quash extract is genotoxic. On this episode of the American Scientist podcast, the safety of botanical supplements, and especially of black cohash extract, which is often used to treat women's health issues. I'm Robert Frederick. We really don't know very much about the efficacy and safety of botanical products. In part, that's because to regulators, botanicals are considered food. And so the National Toxicology Program has been uh, stepping in to fill in data gaps specifically on the safety of botanicals. Stephanie Smithrow is a genetic toxicologist at the U.S. National Toxicology Program, which has been testing botanicals since 1998. So all chemicals and substances that are tested by the National Toxicology Program are nominated to the program. And so the botanicals and specific constituents um, that we're testing are ones that the public or our federal agencies uh, have nominated to our program. And based on the results of such testing, for example, in 2004, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration banned the sale of supplements containing ephedra, which was being marketed for weight loss, increasing a person's energy, and enhancing athletic performance. Reports instead found that the supplements were increasing people's risk of stroke, seizures, heart attack, and sudden death. With regard to what to test, we're testing at the level of the supplier before the material goes to a manufacturer for being formed into a pill or whatnot. And with regard to testing at the level of the supplier, we're interested in chemical profiles that show some similarity to what's available on the market. So naturally we can't, or obviously we can't test every botanical out there, but we can at least try to make an attempt to test the ones that are most closely related to products on the shelves. They're not exactly the same, of course, but closely related. And in the case of ephedra, it may have been the amount, or concentration, because for 5,000 years, people have used ephedra to treat colds, fevers, flu, headaches, asthma, wheezing, and nasal congestion, among other things. While concentrations can vary widely in ephedra plants themselves, the traditional form of taking it is as a tea, not concentrated in pill form. So... There are a lot of things out there to test, and we can only test a few in animals. And, you know, we have certain criteria for trying to identify the best possible thing to test among quite a few things that are out there. What we can do on some level, and something that we're moving towards, is to, you know, test something in vivo, see if we get results. If there are red flags, then we can test a variety of different samples in cell culture type assays. So if we can then you know, see similar things happening to some degree in cell culture assays or uh, various other types of assays, then maybe we can make some inferences, certainly not proof, but inferences about whether these other materials might also be of concern. And one of the botanicals of particular interest to Smith-Rowe is black cohash extract 
which is primarily marketed to women to treat symptoms of menopause, premenstrual syndrome, and painful menstruation. It's also used to induce labor. So I and others at the program have generated data that indicate that blackwash extract is genotoxic. Genotoxic means that it damages the genetic information within cells. That could cause them to mutate, which could lead to cancer. To describe the results of her team's testing, Smith Rowe gave a talk at Sigma's Eye, the Scientific Research Society in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. But before we get started, the very first thing that I need to show you is a disclaimer. The findings and conclusions in this presentation are those of the presenter and do not necessarily represent the views of the National Toxicology Program. Okay. Here's a bit from her talk, as well as some of the questions and answers that followed. There were several reasons to conduct a toxicological assessment of black cohosh extract. It's one of the top 10 selling botanicals in the U.S., indicating a high degree of exposure, and there are quite a few different products that are on the market. It's marketed to women to alleviate the symptoms of menopause, and it's been viewed as an alternative to hormone replacement therapy. But it's also marketed to women of childbearing age to relieve symptoms of PMS and to regulate the menstrual cycle, and it's been used to induce labor. Aside from reports of hepatotoxicity, uh, very little is known about the safety of black coash extract. And the million-dollar question when testing a botanical is, what to test? Smith Rose says ultimately, the National Toxicology Program took a very practical approach. And that was to first identify a product on the market that was a top-selling product and that would be representative of exposure. And the answer was Remifemin, which is a standardized black coash extract that's been produced in Germany since the 1950s. The chemistry group compared the chromatographic profile of Remifemin to a standardized black coash extract material, and they have fairly similar profiles. So the next step was to find a lot of black cohosh from a supplier that showed a profile that indicated that it was similar to the reference material and to Remy Femin. And luckily, there was a product that met those criteria. So the NTP first tested this material in a variety of short-term and 90-day animal studies. And since black cohosh extract is used to relieve the symptoms of gynecological ailments, the NTP first tested whether this extract has estrogenic effects. And as it turns out, our sample of black coash extract, which is highly similar to a product on the market, was negative in the eutertrophic assay. So black coash extract did not increase uterine weight, nor did it attenuate the effects of co-treatment with estradiol. Furthermore, black coash extract had very little effect on the rodent estrous cycle. And these negative results are actually well aligned with what's been observed in the literature. So in other studies of black coash extract, they've also been negative in the eutertrophic assay in mice and rats. And black coash extract is also negative in a variety of in vitro tests that are designed to pick up estrogenic activity. And this may seem at odds with the use of black coash extract for alleviating symptoms of gynecological ailments, but it does contain salicylic acid and dopaminergic and serotonergic compounds which could account for why some consumers do feel some level of relief from taking this botanical. And because all substances nominated for testing to the National Toxicology Program also undergo evaluation for genotoxicity, Smith-Rowe says the tests showed black cohash extract did cause genetic damage. And as it turns out, black cohash extract was active in the micronucleus assay. 
Uh, you may be asking, what is a micronucleus? <laughs> so briefly, micronuclei are biomarkers of genotoxic events, such as chromosomal, uh, structural chromosomal changes and alter chromosome number. At the end of her talk, Smith Rowe made an important reminder before taking questions from the audience. And I just wanted to point out that this is being marketed to women of childbearing age. So if it turns out that this extract is acting by disrupting folate metabolism, there's this very kind of outside chance, outside risk that if you're depleting folic acid levels, then perhaps this might be a risk factor for neural tube defects. While not necessarily fatal, according to the U.S. National Institutes of Health, the nerve damage and loss of function in neural tube defects that are present at birth are usually permanent. Thank you very much, and I'll be very happy to take your questions. I'm Richard Laxer. Uh, you mentioned that black cohosh is used to induce labor. How would that be possible without uh, being FDA approved? One of the issues is that due to the nature of the Deshaies legislation, the Dietary Supplement Health Education Act, to the best of my knowledge, herbals for, or botanicals for all intents and purposes are not being regulated as drugs. They are being regulated more as food. And so Manufacturers of dietary supplements do not need to get FDA approval to get their product out into the market. It's only after harm has been shown to people that the FDA is able to take action and issue things like cease and desist letters. Thank you. Hi, Bob Black. I, I understand the conundrum for the FDA because it's tough to regulate food products in the way they would regulate pharmaceuticals. But are there no regulations that require people to actually put in the box what the label on the box says? That's a really good question. So not in February of this year, but February of last year. I, I can't directly answer that question, but I do know that there was a piece in the New York Times about the New York Attorney General initiating studies of botanicals from, I think, several different pharmacies and so forth in the area around New York State. I think they looked at about 100 samples total of very popular botanical products, and they found that there were issues with what was on the label not necessarily being in the bottle. And I believe the New York Attorney General was able to address that issue. It had to do with an issue of truth in advertising. I think that's the angle that they were taking with the botanicals. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from American Scientist magazine. Thanks to Stephanie Smithrow of the National Toxicology Program for being on the show. I'm Robert Frederick. On behalf of American Scientist magazine and our publisher, Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Society, thanks for joining us. Thank you.